Hello, my name is Deborah Hamilton, and welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This podcast seeks to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view and disciplines. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of this podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations so that every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to your joining us on this journey toward a better understanding of similar and divergent points of view. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening first. I'm so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's get started. Today, I am so honored to speak with my dear friend and colleague, attorney, Jim Giswaldi. He's an author, a speaker, and a founding member of the New York State Bar Association Animal Law Committee. He has also received so many awards that it would take the entire podcast to list them. So I'm not going to do that, not because they're not incredible, but because Jim is that kind of quiet, unassuming guy who doesn't need that. So Jim, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you very much, Deborah. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You are one of the first people I thought of when I started this podcast, because I know the two of us have had this question about why do pets matter and why do animals in general matter? So let me throw that question out to you and let you tell the audience, why do pets matter to you? Well, we'll start with the the broader part of that. Animals matter because, like us, they're a, a living being that shares this uh, planet with us that we inhabit. In terms of companion animals or pets, they are uh, an integral part of our lives, our homes, and our our families. And um, probably the two most vivid examples I have are growing up. Um, I was a latchkey child, and my my dear beloved mother does not like to hear me say this, but um, was raised in part by our black lab Misty, who was uh, uh, quite uh, an incredible soul and uh, rough and tumble, and just the thing that a young boy growing up on Long Island uh, needed. And then in raising uh, our own uh, family, uh, our daughters had the honor and privilege of growing up with another black lab, Memphis, Memphis Grace, um, who was the most well-liked and most loved member of the family and uh, taught us all a great deal, including um, all that she taught me about animal welfare and the importance of our daily multi-mile uh, walks that we took. Well, you know, it's so interesting you said that because the impact of animals on our lives as children and as adults with our own children is incredible. They are always there. They are always happy to see us. And no matter what kind of day we've had, they really make it so special. That's, uh, you know, that's for sure. I mean, the one thing everyone in our immediate and extended family and circle of friends could always agree upon was how much we all love Memphis. And uh, there was never any question about that. And she just had this 
way about her that was at once knowing and comforting and um, and and beautiful and inspirational and uh, uh, and and anyone who's ever shared their life with an animal can understand what I'm trying to say and not being quite as articulate as I'd like to be. Well, it's hard because they bring back all those memories that are so um, fragile, especially if they've gone over the Rainbow Bridge, it makes it really difficult. So I, I detect that, that um, Memphis Grace has uh, become part of your mind's eye. Um, is, that, is that right? She's, she's up in heaven now? Yes. Yeah, so it is tough to talk about them. But I, I really, it, it's interesting you started off with all animals. And then, of course, we love talking about our own personal experiences with why pets matter. But one of the things that I know is near and dear to your heart is how zoos and aquariums take care of their animals and how you really facilitate the conversation to be had to be positive instead of negative. And a lot of people have very negative outlooks on zoos and aquariums. You wrote a phenomenal book that is dog-eared in my house. It's called Excellence Beyond Compliance and speaks about zoos and aquariums. So tell us a little bit more about how you got involved in the law with respect to um, zoos and aquariums and other facilities and also why you've sort of um, joined me in the discussion uh, and the ability to have positive communication so that it really benefits the animals. Sure, Deborah. Let, uh, let me go back uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I was a uh, burnt out young lawyer at a very fine uh, global law firm. And I wound up spending a week with dolphins and cancer patients and cancer survivors. And I was the only non-cancer impacted person in the group. I was the only uh, male in the group. And um, the, the women who were dealing with their own mortality, with strength, courage, and dignity uh, humbled me um, and really gave me a new perspective that what I thought was stressful because I was working hard and being well compensated for it um, was was a story that I was telling myself. And these women were really showing me how one can and should live however much or little time they have. Um, and I also met and, and fell in love with the last surviving flipper from the original TV series from the 1960s, uh, a dolphin by the name of Little Bit. And she inspired me, and that's what started me on the way to doing a lot of pro bono work over the years, then um, reduced fee work, um, and uh, doing a lot of work in the marine mammal and, and zoological communities. And one of the first things that I did after that initial encounter was come home and start reading and studying the animal rights literature. I've continued over the years uh, to learn and, and study uh, different perspectives, uh, different people, 
and wherever possible to interact with and, and work with uh, people with different perspectives because it's a it's a great way to learn and it's a great way to improve uh, the work. That was how I started and 30 years later uh, my practice is now exclusively animal law, uh, largely concentrating on zoological and wildlife matters and the animal welfare, the Federal Animal Welfare Act. And, and Jim, so you've done such a great um, description of how you got there. Uh, I love the fact where you said you're a burned out lawyer, but then you saw these people who were there. You were there to really reju rejuvenate yourself from being a burned out lawyer, but saw that these animals gave people with, as you said, bigger problems than you had, um, such a sense of joy and, and really forked the road that you were taking uh, for law. But tell me a little bit about, and sorry, tell me a little bit about why it's so important for people to understand that there is some reason why zoos and aquariums um, might might serve people um, in a good way, might might serve the animals in a better way. Um, because I know that that the the belief is they should all go away, and and none of us want animals caged or um, as they were. Um, but we really want to make sure that the animals are well cared for. So start with what you found when you first became interested in this and, and did a lot of pro bono work and what you're finding now. Well, there, there are a lot of common threads over the last 30 years. And I think one of the, the uh, unifying elements of the, the journey that I've had is, is grappling with the, the great ethical question, and that is, uh, should there be animals in zoological facilities? And traditionally, the zoological community has noted that, well, we serve as a hedge against uh, extinction. Uh, we help provide education, do conservation, do research and furtherance of, of conservation and, and animal welfare and things like that. Uh, but as, as some of the critics have, have noted for a long time, those are perhaps most appropriately considered to be justifications. So I, I take a step back and deal with the reality that uh, zoological organizations um, do provide uh, some benefits and, and good work in those areas, uh, also in rescuing and uh, rehabilitating and often uh, releasing uh, certain animals to the back to the wild. Um, but that the overriding concern should be that we, we have these animals entrusted to our care and the number one priority each and every day should be to provide the best possible quality of life for those animals. And moreover, that we should seek to continuously improve in terms of that quality of life that we're providing and our efforts in that regard. And that's really 
at the heart of the Excellence Beyond Compliance book, the subtitle of which is Enhancing Animal Welfare Through the Constructive Use of the Animal Welfare Act. And, and that is, we, we have these organizations. We need to be mindful of and respectfully engage others in discussing that um, ethical question, that macro level, big picture, philosophical, ethical question. And then there are at least two other levels of, of ethics to, to keep in mind. And one is a micro level, and it's sort of the daily, day in and day out, ethical considerations and determinations that one must make in terms of the care and treatment of individual animals, um, how to handle their end of life, um, and other things. Um, and that's like on a micro level, and that's a very practical kind of ethics. And then a third level, which I've really been focused on a lot the last few years, which in part is due to the work of Professor Thomas White, who wrote a book about 12 years ago called In Defense of Dolphins, which really challenged me. And I have great respect for Professor White and uh, his thinking. And that third level of ethics is for zoological organizations and for any kind of organization that has animals in its care or deals with anything relating to animals. There is the ethics of how we govern ourselves and our care and treatment of the animals. So you have the big picture ethical question, should we have animals? You have the, the micro level day-to-day how do we, you know, what's the best way to address this um, in terms of this animal, in terms of this animal's life? And then you have in that gap, how do we govern ourselves? Um, how does our board deal with this? How does our organization uh, deal with this? So there's those three levels, and I think they all should be part of a respectful process of engagement where we continue to learn from each other. You know, it's so important that you give these three steps because there's the overarching question, which is, should we have these animals? And that's where some people just really hang their their hats. Um, but we do have these animals now. It's not like, you know, we can drop them all off where we pick them up and send them back, so we can't. So that would go to the little micro question that you asked, so what about the day-to-day -day care and what should we do? And then I loved, you know, I've read Thomas White's work and I love that he goes further, you know, from day to day to what is what we do day to day, week to week, month to month as the guardians, so to speak, the governance of how these animals that are in captivity now are um, cared for. And I know you have a lot of ideas about what that might look like, because as I said at the beginning, you've had so many collaborative conversations with staunch advocates for shutting down zoos and aquariums, as well as the zoo and aquarium um, governance, because you are that guy like me who's sort of standing in the middle trying to make it work for the animals.
Yeah, yeah. I there, there's no substitute for constructive conversation. You you learn, you grow. Um, if if you're thoughtful and understanding, you hopefully build relationships. And I know I've built uh, many relationships. Um, some where people were tremendously helpful to me at first, or others where I, I would like to think I tried to help them as best I could. Um, and over the years, we found new and creative ways to, to help each other and to help animals. And, and that's really important. Um, conflict sometimes can be an agent of change and improvement, no doubt. Sometimes it's necessary. But the way I try to approach things is I think that there are a lot of other means that we can use before we get to that point. You know, it, it's, it's so good. I love that, that conflict absolutely creates the venue in which a conversation um, can be uh, had to better change and improve the lives of the animals. I mean, look what zoos and circuses and, and uh, aquariums look like 40 years ago uh, and look what they look like now. And some of them have been taken away. And was that the best outcome for the animals who were in that facility? I know we've had this conversation that, you know, maybe not, maybe so. Um, sanctuaries are always a wonderful alternative. Are there enough? Um, so the conflicts that arise, we can either really um, inflate the conflict, which I know you and I are not necessarily uh, proponents of, or as you said before, have a constructive conversation. We're not going to always agree, but if we can find some common ground on which to move forward, that I think is what you and I feel is in the best interest of the animals. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and that's the important thing. The important thing is to always remind ourselves that our work should be about the animals and how we can best serve them. And uh, I'm very fortunate the last uh, four and a half years I've written this uh, regular column uh, for the San Diego Zoo Global Academy, their online uh, training platform for the zoological world and for others actually. And um, in that, I've explored a lot of these uh, very issues, and the column is called uh, Getting Better All the Time, and it focuses on continuous improvement in animal welfare, but it deals with other things. And one of the, one of the columns that uh, I refer to quite often uh, was where I um, laid out what I consider to be the principles of constructive engagement, where basically thinking about ways in which we can improve to better serve animals, uh, making our ideas better collaboratively whenever possible, taking action and um, col collaboratively if possible, uh, keeping thoughts and actions focused on improving and helping animals and then being grateful that we have this opportunity to do it. You know, and it's, that is so perfectly put because it really is about them. And if we could take our own personal um, feelings of being attacked or not respected out of the picture and, and be part of the solution, that's such a great way to put it. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's always uh, it's always great to share um, these ideas. Another another concept that I think helps us bring people together um, in a meaningful way is reorienting how we look at our responsibilities, the important responsibilities to the animals we have in our care, whether they be in our homes or in um, a zoological facility or a sanctuary, whatever it may be. And uh, if I may, can I, sh- can I share what I call the en- an enlightened caregiver's creed? Oh, absolutely, because I'm going to have you back and we're going to go into it in depth, but absolutely, because that'll be the teaser for the next time you're on. So please go ahead. Okay, it's just a, it's just a, a handful of bullet points. This is uh, an enlightened caregiver's creed, and you can find this uh, in one of the uh, San Diego Zoo uh, Global Academy columns I've, I've written. Uh, or you can contact Deborah and we yeah, can I'll put it. it on the web on the podcast website so everybody can get it really quickly. Go, 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 go. This is fabulous. Okay. Um, we we appreciate and understand that people are concerned about the well-being of animals, whether in our care, in the wild, within other settings, and or in our homes. We share that concern and constructively act upon it every day. We are humbled and grateful for the opportunity to dedicate ourselves to the well-being of the animals and our loving care. While respectful of differences, the one difference we focus on daily is the positive difference we can make in the lives of animals, here and everywhere. We thoughtfully consider any reasonable concern and constantly review ongoing developments here and throughout the world so as to continuously improve our service on behalf of animals. And finally, we put proactive thinking into good practices as we change and innovate in ways that incorporate the best interest of the animals. Jim, that is encapsulates the way you and I Uh, practice our respective fields in the animal law, animal advocate, animal conflict resolution field. I think pulling out the one that really resonated with me, which is make a positive difference. It's so much better than always holding on to the negatives, but rather holding on to the positives and working forward from there. You're definitely going to be on again because we have to go through each one of those, and that's going to be fabulous. For everyone listening, this has been Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter, with the wonderful Jim Giswaldi, who is the quintessential aquarium zoo advocate and um, helper in making everyone the best they can be in every venue with respect to zoos, aquariums, and really anywhere in the wild or in captivity. So I'm going to close now, but please remember, Jim will be back and we will talk about the Enlightened Caregiver Creed in many, many episodes because I think it is something that will appeal to everyone who feels, why do pets matter? Well, this is why. Jim, thank you so much for coming on and I'm going to uh, let you go now, but uh, uh, I thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah. This was, uh, this was wonderful. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful to Jim Giswaldi for being on the phone today, and I look forward to all of you joining me again for a podcast called Why Do Pets Matter?
Thank you for listening to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton, and this podcast is my passion. Do you have a great guest or idea for a topic you'd like me to explore? Go to my website and click Contact at Hamilton Law and Mediation. That's Hamilton Law, L-A-W, and A-N-D, Mediation, M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N dot com. Until next week, our pets do matter. This is Deborah Hamilton thanking you for being here.